a guy in my small group Wednesday night said that he referred to that as my walkout music. Not exactly our intention. I think in the industry we, we call it the sermon bumper video. We're grateful for a new guy named Daniel Hicks who's leading us, helping us tell our stories and communicate things better. Really excited about that. Well, we're at week four of this series called Hard Questions where I'm earning uh, my money uh, during this month. And today's question is the following. Does Christianity oppress women? So I want to I say this today. I want you to engage with me and try the best to eliminate distractions around you. I hope you do that uh, every weekend that you worship with us. But try to hone in on today. And I want to ask you to listen as best you can. Uh, not with a conceited mind. You already know things. Or a calloused heart. You can't teach me anything. But to be open to what God might have for you this morning. Now, no doubt, we've already had one service. And no doubt, I can tell you that people are going to hear this. Some people, are gonna, they're going to hear this from uh, the perspective of... Gosh, man, he is so backwoods and bigoted to say those things. And some people are going to hear this from the perspective of, man, I've told you, he's going liberal. Married a girl from California. Our church is non-denominational. He's wearing jeans today. He's going to like, he's going to bless pets. He's going to let us bring dogs and cats and goldfish and birds and turtles and bless the animals. He's going to baptize his golden retriever. I told y'all, I saw it coming. A long time ago, a man named John Rice wrote a book called Bob, Bobbed Hair, Bossy Wives, and Women Preachers. I'm not making this up. And in the book, he said the following. Millions are going to hell because of the unscriptural practice of women preachers. Now, thank you for not saying amen. Let me ask you, where did he get that? And is that found anywhere in the Bible? There's a a book of letters that little children have written to God. One letter from a little girl who writes, Dear God, are boys better than girls? I know you are one, but please be fair. What I'm hoping to do this weekend in this message is to be equitable, to, be, to preach the truth, and to be fair. And I want to ask you to be open to what God might have for you today. It's been said... And if we don't parse this uh, too much, if we don't bring our egos and angles and emotions and agendas into this thing, I would agree. I would wholeheartedly agree. It's been said that Jesus was the first feminist. Paul, the writer of, of much of the New Testament, one of the early church planters and followers of Jesus, a brilliant man, historians believe that it, it was likely the first broad persuasive statement on the equality of men and women in the history of the world. People did not talk like this back then. Galatians 3.28, he says this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For we are all, you are all one in Christ Jesus. Is that a beautiful thing? Let me ask you. Do we feel like one? If if you've watched television, you you don't have to go to C-SPAN. But if you just watch television this week, I want to ask you. Do, do we feel like one? My 17-year-old beautiful daughter walked into the room one night this week and she said, Dad, who do you believe? I believe the woman. Can I just say, like, that's a moment? That's a moment as a dad, as a man, as a pastor. Like, I want to get that one right. I'm not talking about, like, is he lying? I'm just talking about, I want to get that. You, you get what I'm saying? Like, I want to get that one right. Because I want my daughter to know that she's a child of the king. And I want her to feel heard and valued and listened to. And as a culture, 
we've got to do better than what we're doing. But do we feel like one? And do we, as a local church body, Fondren Church, do we feel like one? I want to show you to help us understand. We're going to enter into some um, controversy. We're going to enter into some tough understanding of which we will, in essence, separate. Some of you will see it one way. Some of you will see it another way. Some of you will love me. Some of you will hate me. Some of you will be confused. And some of you will email me and want to come see me. And don't bring a water pistol. That's all I'm going to say. So here we go. On this side, I'm, I'm taking this from a theologian named Guy Mason. And we had the font um, such a size. I wanted you to see it. But pretend this is all on one line. So put the C next to the E and the P up there with that. So it's all on one line. And it's sort of a, a continuum. And over here, there is feminism. And then you see words that you may or may not be aware of. Egalitarianism and complementarianism. And then over here to the far side is patriarchy. And let me start here just briefly. Patriarchy is this idea that, that men should dominate. That it's a prism of which you see the world. It's a worldview. In fact, what's so tragic and sad and downright evil about this is you can Google things like 26 tenets of Christian patriarchy. And what you see there is verse after verse and exegetical, detailed exegetical work of unpacking these verses and asserting this idea that women are less than men and men should dominate. The Bible says so. That's the heart of God. God is a man. Shut up and be silent, women. Be seen but not be heard. And this is an extreme. It is to be rejected, but it has to be reckoned with. It has to be dealt with. And over here on the opposite side, the other edge here is feminism. And feminism is this idea, let me say this, at its best, feminism is defining and detailing the ways in which women are equal to men in all spheres of society. Socially, economically, politically, every way women are equal. Now, I'm not going to do this for the sake of time and whatnot because I'm not preaching for many notes, but when, I'm gonna, when I say feminism for the rest of the sermon, I'm probably going to refer to radical militant feminism. So give me that, if you will, okay? So we've talked about Jesus being really the first feminist, but radical militant feminism is a view of the world, the prism of which you, this person sees life is one of um, hating men, especially men in power. In fact, let me stop for just a second. No one respond out loud. In fact, don't look around. Just me and you here. When you hear those three words, what does it do to you? Okay, anything? Does something rise up in you? Men in power. And feminism sees that as an inherent wrong, as something that is dangerous. The Bible is a book written by men, it's about men, it's for men, and it protects and affirms manhood. Feminism looks at men in positions of power with skepticism, with anger, and with fear. And we're seeing it today played out on the news in a real way. This was a sermon that we were preaching anyway, despite the events of this week. And then here... The, let me say this, so here I want us to get in the middle. I want us to get away from the edges, okay? 
Because there's something beautiful. You can see, you know a bit of the story of Jesus, don't you? You know the good news of the gospel and how it, it breaks down the walls of enmity, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2 and Galatians 3.28. As, as you see today, it brings us together. So let's get off the edges and reject that, what's so bad about that, and let's get into the middle because patriarchy and feminism don't really argue from the Bible. Egalitarianism and complementarianism, we do. So egalitarianism is this idea that the scripture is very clear. From Genesis 1 and 2, it's easy to understand science or science, poetry, there's poetry. It's easy to understand uh, this man Adam and this woman Eve and God, Father, Son, and Spirit created them, male and female. And the idea was oneness, the idea was equality. And that's God's intention. That's a hallmark passage for them. Genesis 1 and Genesis 3. And of course Galatians 3, 28 that we put on the screen earlier. And egalitarians believe that women should be all across the sphere. Should be encouraged, empowered, emboldened, equipped to lead in any and every and all sphere of influence. In our world, in the family, and in the church today. What I admire about egalitarianism is that they argue from Scripture. They have a high view of Scripture. Hear me if you're not there. But they have a very, very high view of the Bible. They have to tackle tough text like 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and Ephesians 5 that talk about women being silent and submissive. But in that, they do great work. Most of it I overwhelmingly agree with. Any seminarians in the room, I know that you're probably with me on this, but there's a, a lot of a lot of work that you have to do to get into that uh, historical context and the culture of what was happening to the languages that the Bible was written in then. And so the thing about the, you know, the veils and all this stuff, there's a lot of history and culture and context there that, that frees us up to give understanding to what was time-bound to that time and that place. And so that's what uh, egalitarians do. I love and admire egalitarians. Most of the uh, pastors that I hang out with um, on kind of out of state or whatever the friends that I have from other places when we lived out west they hold this view of scripture and that women are empowered to lead in every sphere of influence that a man has and egalitarianism at its core says men, are, men and women are equal listen in merit worth and value and also in role and responsibility stay with me there because that's where complementarians um, have disagreement and so in, in this view complementarianism is this idea that men and women are created equal. What the scripture says is true. In fact, agreeing, again, both people have a high view of the Bible. Both people learn their, their wisdom from God through this narrative written in scripture. And a complementarian like the egalitarian can look and say, hey, look at Esther. Esther was an instrument to protect God's people. Look at Deborah. She was a judge of an entire nation. She passed the Senate confirmation hearing. She, un, she, she passed the intense scrutiny of the FBI investigation and all the questioning. And Deborah was a good judge. Now, real quick caveat. caveat I know that some read the Bible. They see Isaiah 11.3, which talks about the judgment of God on people at a time. And that it says that a woman ruled over them. And that's one of those verses, again, knowing history, culture, context, that we misuse as if a woman ruling is an evil thing. And Deborah is an example of that. So in Esther and Deborah, we see Miriam, Moses' sister, we see her being um, 
a priest and being used greatly. And so in Scripture, in the Old Testament and in the New, we see the value and worth and merit of women being asserted as equal with men. Who shared the gospel first, the good news of Jesus? Do you remember? It was a woman. A woman was the first. Women were the first to share uh, the good news. In, in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see that the church, there were women in public settings that were praying and prophesying. In other words, speaking truth. In Philippians chapter 4, we see women evangelists. In Romans chapter 16, we see the example of a wa- women deacons. Uh, there's debate around this, Romans 16, 7. If you want some fun research, go dig into Romans 16, 7. But it talks about a woman who is believed to be an apostle. There, again, is debate about that. But over and over in Scripture, we see women being used. Let me show you a couple of examples here from Scripture in the New Testament. If we could put that up. Acts 18, 18, it says, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters, even that's important language. He left the brothers and sisters, and he sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off because of a vow that he had taken. That last part's not germane to what we're talking about. But notice here, he was accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla is the wife, Aquila is the man, and she's mentioned first. And in those writings, that had, the sequence had had to do with the priority. In other words, we're seeing here that Paul, uh, the brothers and sisters lived, they were co-laborers, leaders in the spreading of the gospel. And here, uh, Priscilla, probably in the labor of the gospel, was on staff, if you will. She had value. She had extra value. Now, any of y'all know Josh McAlpin? Some of you know, shake your head if you know, Josh is one of the great men that I know. Great leader. He's helped us build Fonder Church. He's a charter member from the very beginning. Served as an elder for many years. Rolled off recently. I hope one day that he'll roll back on. But Josh is a great guy. Do y'all know, do y'all know his wife, Laura McAlpin? How many of you know Laura? Yeah, you're whistling and stuff. But Laura is phenomenal, is she not? Now, when I talk about the McAlpins, I never say Josh and Laura. Now, is that because Josh is less than Laura in God's eyes? Yes, it is. <laughs> Laura, if you know him, Laura is far better than Josh. But here's what I want to tell you. Laura, Laura is our marriage minister. She's a dear friend. And every time I talk about the McAlpins, I say Laura and Josh McAlpin. Because of her labor here and the value she specifically brings in her part-time staff role, And she brings value. We see that in Scripture. I think that's a beautiful thing, that brothers and sisters were co-laboring. Women were in leadership, and they were valued. And here we even see like a woman being elevated above the man. Next verse. This is in the Gospels of Luke. Soon after he, Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. Jesus chose twelve men. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and I married one of these, Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Keep that up. So here's what we're learning. That yes, Jesus chose 12 men to be disciples, but they traveled and they worked and loved and lived and worshipped and brought good to this world as brothers and sisters and we see that women traveled with them and I love this passage because some of you patriarchal guys need to hear this it was the women who bankrolled the mission how cool is that it was the women who bankrolled the mission there and so we see in scripture 
Let's look at Acts chapter 2. This is Peter. I call it the second greatest sermon ever preached after the Sermon on the Mount. But this was a day when thousands converted to Jesus. The world, it says later, was turned upside down in large part because the Spirit was poured out and Peter preached this sermon. In the last days, it shall be, this is Peter quoting the prophet Joel. I will pour out my Spirit on just the men and your sons will prophesy and your men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams i misread that didn't i if you're listening later online that scripture says that i will pour out my spirit on all flesh your sons and your daughters will prophesy that means speak truth that means speak truth in public we'll see visions your old men will dream dreams and the, the complementarian, hear me now, because we want to be understood, a complementarian is one who affirms the value, worth, and merit of women as equals, as brothers and sisters under a heavenly father, and so we're equal. But a complementarian would say that there's something that, that while we are equal, we're unique. While we are distinct, we are dependent. So certainly in feminism on the edge and to some extent at times egalitarianism seeks, I believe, to emasculate men and subtract what is distinctly male and distinctly female. So let me just for a second ask you, are there differences between men and women? This, if I asked this question in 1988 or when this building was built, 1948, like it would be, all of y'all would have said yes, you know, and now we're like, oh. To, I, don't know, I don't know, I don't want to get it wrong. But are there differences between men and women? Anybody have an answer for that? Do you, do you think there are some differences? Now, we're equal, right? Okay, we're equal. I'm not going to depart from this, but are there differences? There are. Let's start with the easy ones. Biologically, we're different. When I was born, the doctor said, it's a boy. And he said, it's a boy because I've got boy stuff. Now, today, we're going to keep this as PG-13, uh, pg Next weekend will not be PG, okay? We're going to advance it next weekend. We'll warn you of that at the end of the service and entering into next weekend as well. But look, I have boy stuff, and it was not chosen by the culture. It was encoded in my DNA at conception. So biologically, there are differences, but I would also say there are differences in function. Again, trying to keep it PG here, but as a male, it, you know, it's not just... Uh, the biological differences, there's form, there's function. As a, a, a male, a male can implant life into a woman that a woman cannot do. A woman can bring life into the world, and I would say even nurture it in ways that a man cannot. So there are biological differences, and there are differences of function, but what else? Feminism wants to blur the lines. In fact, on the angry edges of that, it's like a, I hate men, Okay. And over here, we want to say men and women are different, men and women are different, vastly different, men are superior. But in here, we're, we're arguing from the Bible, and we're saying, oh, equal, 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 how beautiful, brothers and sisters with the same Heavenly Father. But even if things are not culturally popular today, even if things can't be understood so readily in a soundbite, are men and women different? And in so, in what ways? And so egalitarians, those who say that uh, women are equal and nothing, including 
being a senior pastor and elder should be off limits for a woman. They argue from um, the tough text and then they go back from those texts and they say, well, all of that is cultural. I do agree that most of it is cultural. But as I understand the scripture, they are going back and looking at the created order of things. And so in scripture, we see that God created, stay with me, be open, don't turn against me just yet. We see in the Bible that God created man first. Look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 23. Then the man said, this at last is bone of bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, God created man, and he said what? What did he say when he created man? It's the opposite of everything he said when he created other things. He said what? It is, 930 was better than y'all. God said, it is not good. So stay with me, women, because I don't want to lose you. The deficiency is in the man. Let me just say that. A long time ago, I really believe in God's sovereignty. A long time ago, God knew that I needed Susan. I needed her insight. I needed her intelligence. I needed her beauty and her passion and her zeal and our wisdom. And in so many ways, she gives me that and she tells me what to do at times. And what I do, I do it. And she is a gift to me. But in the creator order, we learn that God created man and he said, it is not good. And then he said, and by the way, let me, the Hebrew here, uh, put that next line up. Here's what Adam is saying. He's saying, she shall be called Isha, for she was taken out of Ish. The woman taken out of man. And he's saying, you know, she's like me, but she's different. She's familiar, but she's strange. She's equal to me, but she's unique. And so here... I believe there's something, and I've got a few minutes to build my case here, but I believe there's something important that I don't want us to lose as a church. I don't want us to lose sight of. And so in the garden, we see after Genesis 1 and 2, so complementarians and egalitarians, we're here in the middle, we're taking our truth from Scripture, and we're agreeing in Genesis 1 and 2 that man and woman are created equal, but we get to Genesis 3, and the egalitarians point back and say, you know, that was a result of the fall, and that what happened, and Jesus came, and he reversed the curse, and so now there's just no difference in role and responsibility and relationship that we're all the same. And a complementarian, of which I am one, would say, there is a difference. There is a difference. And in the curse we learn, the scripture tells us that for the man, he was cursed in his work. Look at the ground. There will be toil and there will be sweat. Any of you men struggling on the job? Any of you unemployed looking for what's next? Any of you really well paid at your job, but you just don't want to show up in the morning because there's headache? Anybody struggling in their job? That's a result of the fall. And it, it affects it affects men. It really does. It says that woman will be afflicted in childbearing. There will be pain. I stand here in front of you today. Thank God for the grace that I've never had to give birth to a child and experience that pain. She has three times. And they brought a long needle and stuck it into her spine. A woman is cursed with that. Now there's joy after that pain. But that is a result of the fall. And there's something here relationally. There's something here to understand our different roles and our responsibilities as men and women. So I want to say to you, when God went into the garden after the fall, before things were cursed, when God went into the garden, what did he say when he went in? He said, do you know, 
Adam, where are you? And so this is not a message of hate, exclusion, judgment, leaving people out. It's a message that I don't want you to miss because I believe that it is true. God says, Adam, where are you? And I would say to every man in the room, where are you? Where are you as a leader? Where are you? After the 930 service, I talked to a man who has been out a couple of weeks and he served on jury duty. And between this service and ours, we don't have much time. I said, hey, tell me about it. And he's like, man, it was a capital murder case. He was telling me about being on this jury. And they sentenced this guy who went into a convenience store. It's all on tape, all on camera. And he went into a convenience store and he got his gun ready. And the, the man who moved to Mississippi from Yemen, who saved money and worked hard to own and operate a convenience store, his 13-year-old son was there. And this man... I use that word loosely. This male put a gun into this 13-year-old son's head and shot him dead. And he was, had to reload his gun. And this father runs out of his store, this man from Yemen, and he shoots him. Didn't kill him, but he shoots him as he runs off. So stay with me for just a second. I know I'm getting on some perilous ground here, but I hope you'll give me the benefit of the doubt when I, when I ask you to think with me. Do you think that man that went in the convenience store, do you think he had a good father Anybody want to guess on it? If you were to come to my house and we were to watch the local news, the national news, and we were to put story after story of rape and robbery and murder and all of that, do you think if we could find, if we could peek behind the curtain in that instance, do you think we would have story after story of boys who were fathered well? Any guesses? Adam, where are you? And so what I'm submitting to you today is this idea of complementarianism is not that women can't do anything. It's just that men aren't doing it and need to be. Several years ago, I preached a sermon here. And I, in a moment, I think that was pretty extemporaneous. I challenged the men. It was one of those moments and I'm like, men, oh, no. And challenged the men. And I said, step up and lead. In Psalm 128, it says that your wife, if you love her well, she's like a well-watered garden. Men, we're not doing that well. We're not doing that well. She's, she is a well-watered garden if I'm loving her like Jesus calls me to love her. And my kids are like little olive shoots around the table if I'm leading well. But we're not doing well with that, men. Am I right? What is a man? I mean, what is a man? Is a man, does he drive a truck? Does he eat red meat? Does he shop at Home Depot? Does he not cry? Don't cry. Be a man. Don't cry. Jesus wept. What is a man? You know, it wasn't that long ago, many men were known for music, art, and poetry. It was a man who chiseled David. It was a man who, who, who painted Daniel on the Sistine Chapel ceiling. It was a man who put Romeo and Juliet on paper. It was a man who composed the Four Seasons. Men were known for music, art. What, what's a man? According to God, a man is someone who has to reject passivity. So from the platform one day, I shared with you guys that men ought to lead. My wife and I were walking into a friend's birthday party that night. He was turning 50. 
And I made the mistake before the party of opening my email. That's sometimes not good to do on a Sunday if you're a preacher. And I opened my email and it was scathing. And it was a young woman in medical school here who grew up with a dad who stayed home and a mom who was an awesome doctor, successful in her writing and research and professionalism. For some reason, she was accusing me of saying that women can't do that, that women ought not to do that. And I was like, I never said that. I, was, I wanted to go back and listen to my own sermon, which is a terrible thing to do. I hate my voice. I hate listening to myself online. I just, I just, every preacher is like that, I found. But I, I told Susan, listen to the sermon again and tell me when I said that. I, I didn't say that. And what's kind of crazy is I was slated to marry her, to preside over her wedding like a month later. And she was, I looked at my schedule, her and her fiance were coming in to meet me that week. In fact, she, they were coming in to meet me the next day, Monday. And I thought, she's not going to want to meet me based on this email or for me to do her wedding. I guess I'm free that weekend. And we sat down and we talked, and here's what I told her. I tried for the first 45 minutes to let her unleash her fury because I knew that there was something there, and she was smarter than me. But I knew what I could cling to is, I never said that, but then I had an opportunity, if she would give it to me, where I could tell her my motive. And here was my motive. I told her, I never said women can't lead in the highest spheres. But what I was saying is that I don't know any women who are 35 to 39 years old, still living at home in their parents' basement, playing video games and eating onion dip straight out of the container. I don't, do, do you know any women like that? I personally do not. But I know a lot of men, we'll call them men, let's call them males. I know a lot of males, that's their thing. And so we're living in a society where boys are not growing up to men. And so when God goes in the garden, it's not, he's not saying, Eve, get out of here, you're, you're less than him. In fact, you hear something beautiful. When God says that he created, it's not good for man to be alone. He created what, you know? He created a helpmate suitable for him. Helpmate suitable for him. Men don't misuse that. Women don't misunderstand it. The same Hebrew word for help is used in this passage. Look at Psalm 33:20. Sam, you still with me? We wait and hope for the Lord. He is what? He is our help and our shield that's the same word the same word so you know this word you know this word doesn't mean lower than right it doesn't mean lower than it's the same word that's used of God women this is this is praising you this is extolling you this is lifting you up the deficiency is in man God is saying Robert I want you to lead as a man and I really specifically I believe want you to lead in the church and in the home but you'll need a partner and she will walk alongside you. And it's the same word, you're not God, but it's the same word for God that the scripture uses, right? Is that a beautiful thing or what? So let me clear up something up. My view of the scripture, fraught with misunderstanding, is that senior pastor here should be a man. And our elders are men. Am I a complementarian? I am. Complementarians have been described as, there's a couple of different types of complementarians. Um, one is described as a casual one. Um, the other as a real purposeful one, as one that's like very convinced. So which am I, casual or convinced? I'm casually convinced. <laughs> I wish I could be like Matt Chandler. I wish I could be like John Piper and stand up here and just bring the thunder. I bet you wish that too, right? The place would be full. I wish I could be that guy. But I'm not. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I've said this before and I've invited you to try to convince me. 
But when I understand this role that God designs for a man, he's pointing back to creation, to the order of creation, and to how he wants God to lead. And let me ask you, y'all know I marry a whole bunch of people. I do a ton of weddings. And I talk to young couples and I ask them, hey, you two, do y'all know the number one complaint a woman has in marriage? It's going to hit close to home. The number one complaint, there's no close second. The man is passive. So he can go to work and, man, do it, do it big. But he comes home and he doesn't know how to engage emotionally with his wife. He doesn't know how to care and nurture for his children. He doesn't know how to help with the mealtime and dinner time and plan a vacation. He doesn't know how to communicate. He's a passive dude. He's a boy. And God is saying to be a man, you've got to reject passivity, accept responsibility, and stand courageously. And God calls, he's not saying women can't do it. He wants men to do it in certain spheres. And let me free you up. The scripture says nothing about who ought to be president of the United States or CEO of a company. Nothing. This is for marriage. This is when the words have been spoken from this day forward. And I'm asking you, if you run up against me, and I welcome all of your emails and debates. I've got plenty of time on my hands. Bring it. But I'm just saying, if you're married and you're a patriarch or married to a patriarch... How's it going? If you're a radical, militant feminist or married to one, how's it going? You better not answer. You with me? So here's how it works in marriage. I'm not setting myself up as the perfect example. I make a mistake a couple of times a year. Eight years ago, I looked at Susan and said, God is calling us to start a church. And she didn't seem too confident in that idea. So what I didn't do is do the patriarchy thing. And say, oh, submit, blah, 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 which is a terrible misuse of Ephesians 5. A pastor I know in Atlanta says with that Ephesians 5 submit thing, it says wives submit to husbands, which I don't even almost preach it because it's so misunderstood today. But he goes on to say the submit to one another. That's later he goes like, it's a submission competition. You want a good marriage is a submission competition. But it's never a man dominate over a woman ever. It is husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. How different is that? But I didn't push it on her. I waited. Because even though God was calling me to preach a lot of the sermons and lead and handle things, I would need her as a suitable helpmate. And I waited. That's how I led her. Tenderly, looking for unison and valuing her. Fifteen years ago, I was in over my head in Southern California, and she looked at me and she said, Robert, God has called you to be a pastor. You have a pastor's heart. And she led me. Mutual submission, submit to one another. I want to close with this. Just a few bullet points. At Fondren, women are siblings, not subordinates. We are, as the Bible says over and over, we are brothers and sisters. And let's put some soul in it. We are brothers and sisters. Women have a voice and a vote as we have a vision for working as partners together. For those offended by the elder thing, I would say to you, women do have a voice at the highest point in our church. When I'm going through something and I'm seeking the Lord, there's not a time I don't go to her for her advice. 
and she could stand up today, uh, nod your head, it might make me look better, but she could nod her head today and tell you, man, I value what she has to say. Because she's gifted in ways I'm not. And she's a partner. Where the Bible is dogmatic, we should be dogmatic. I use that playfully. Where the Bible is ambiguous, we should be open-minded and loaded with grace. How about that? And where the Bible is silent, we should shut the heck up. If somebody said amen, I'd have stopped right then. But I'm going to go 15 more minutes. I'm going to do some exegetical work from 1 Timothy 2, 1 Corinthians 13. Would you stand with me? Lord, our world is fighting. And people are hurting. And God, you've given me a heart for people on the edge. For that patriarchal man who wants to dominate is probably one who's hurting and doesn't understand the gospel and the value of all people being created equal. And for the one who's angry and hating men and the three words men in power cause her to bristle and just recoil. Lord, there is a hurt. There's likely something that has happened. So God, may we lead together. God, where men have failed in this headship, created order thing, I pray that you forgive us. Lord, let us walk in your grace as women and men. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're a local learning team where we study your book and learn from it. God, I pray that you bless us now as we worship you, as we come to the table, to these elements, to the bread and to the juice representing your body and your blood. As we take a corner of this bread and dip it tenderly into this cup, as we hear a deacon or leader say to us, this is Christ's body broken for you, this is Christ's blood shed for you. As we say an amen back, as we say a thank you, Jesus, I pray that you receive our gratitude. Thank you for being our Heavenly Father and calling us to be sisters and brothers. In Jesus we pray.